This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. I should have taken a bigger sip of water before the show started. My throat just suddenly folded up on me. It totally threw you off your rhythm. Oh, that's okay. I'm still pumped. It totally threw me off my ability to speak worse. <laughs> I was literally trying to say things and the sound wasn't coming out. Does that qualify as technical problems? <laughs> yes. The vocal cords just shut down. I'm like, things are supposed to be coming. Nothing's coming. You got, we have to yeah, keep on top of that, DW. That's that's literally what we're here for, is to speak words. I actually went out and got fresh, new, ice-cold water. I was taking sips. Man, I was on top of this. I was on my game. Oh. You blew it. What I really need to do is learn how to do that drill sergeant stuff that... Uh, oh. That he does at the beginning of uh, Full Metal Jacket. I don't know. Yeah, if you Arlie Ermey. Arlie Ermey, yeah. He, it sounds like he's yelling. But if you actually watch that scene closely, he's not even raising his voice. He's almost whispering. He's actually saying things in a really soft voice. So he doesn't strain his vocal cords. It's insane. But he gives the impression of yelling through intensity. And it's a really amazing thing. I need to learn how to do that so my uh, so I don't rip my throat to shreds by the time I'm, you know, 55 or 60. Sorry, now I'm thinking about being 55 or 60 and I stopped talking. Man, you blew it twice already. How's your voice doing? Get that sip of water. I got that sip of water. We'll have to see. I think I'm getting hoarse already. I'm old. Hey, I, I, I'm going to give a trade secret. I did spend a few minutes with a vocal coach once, once, and I take it not everybody learns to sing or do, uh, do voices. And you know what? When they say speaking from the diaphragm, I must admit, it was a completely foreign concept to me. Saving your vocal cords is actually difficult. I learned how to breathe from my diaphragm for band and drama uh, and debate. I did all those in high school. I was a really, well, yeah, I was a well-rounded individual. <laughs> Also did a lot of D and D, so <laughs> and other role playing games. Yeah, but you you're you're noted for for wrong playing D and D with all your fun voices and and storylines and things, right? Uh, yeah. I explained to this explained this to our friend Brian the last time I talked to him. He's like, "How did you set up a campaign storyline?" And I'm like, "I didn't set up a campaign storyline. I just." ruled with whatever the players did and then threw stuff, you know, in front of them next. If I had set up a campaign storyline, 
I don't know how I would have gone about implementing it because nothing I could have done would have been as crazy as the things the players came up with. Nothing. I mean, like Ed, uh, who was a friend of ours, who was in the Methepolis campaign, uh, 18 and 19 years ago, I believe. Sounds about uh, right. He always, always, always took advantage of opportunities to set up mercantile situations, that is, trading situations. Because you guys would run across places that had something unique and cool, and it always arranged to have it shipped with people you knew who had ships and then take a percentage off the top. So other people were doing the work, but you guys were getting paid. And I could have, if I was being stickler for three E's wealth by level, you know, just said, no, you can't do that. I'm not going to let you have the money. But it's like, no, you guys were being creative. You took advantage of the situation and, you know, I could have gone the other way and said, no, I'm not going to throw any more cool stuff in my campaign. But that was stupid. That was exactly the entire point of Methepolis was to go to new places, find cool stuff and, you know, enjoy it. That's what made the worlds worth going to. So you guys got, you know, you did that several times. Um and each time it was a surprise to me because I wasn't even thinking in those terms. You took advantage of things that were offered to you and you became, you know, incredibly wealthy. And then, and again, this is not planned out, but at the end of, uh, I think it was the end of the first year of the campaign, um, it turned out you guys blew all your wealth in saving half a continent from starving to death because you set up another mercantile opportunity to buy vast amounts of food from a place that had food to take it to this continent that had been so devastated by war, they didn't have crops. They didn't have food at all. Now, I don't know how you would have set that up as a campaign without heavy amounts of, you know, just so much railroady railroading that it wouldn't have been any fun. Um, That's a fantastic idea. I, I, two, two things come to mind. The first thing is that the opportunities were there not only because uh, you may have presented them, but because the player thought of them. And a lot of things players think to ask, oh, what is such and such here? Like, how much do these things cost? And so on and so forth. And I think those are the two ingredients. You need to have people who actually think like that. And to do that, you need the incentives to work. And I hate to say it, but I hate to say it. I love to say it. The uh, 
editions of D&D after AD&D first edition no longer have those incentives or they change the incentives. Yeah, I what happened was I just set up the situations because I didn't have those opportunities in mind. I didn't absolutely did not think about. I didn't put anything there saying, oh, yeah, if the players sell this, they'll get rich. It just didn't even occur to me. Um, but I presented the situations. I created these new worlds they were going to. And I should let people know that uh, Methepolis was a city um, that had a lot of portals to different prime material plane worlds. So if you can think of it as, you know, potentially dozens or hundreds of prime material plane worlds that they could travel between, you know, each one basically a different D&D campaign world. They went to, you know, many of them, but Methepolis was in a the primary campaign world where they spent a lot of time too. Uh, and they got very heavily involved with... Uh, with the problems of the the main campaign world, but also went to these other worlds for, and, and many of the characters in the campaign came from other campaign worlds. Uh, in fact, the main campaign world, I made this, uh, made this rule, which was no elves, bam, no elves in the campaign. Didn't want any else. So, um, and then a player, one of my players came along and said, I want to play an elf. And I'm like, oh, okay. But you have to come from, you know, one of these other worlds because there are no elves in this world. And, um, and I have to point out, like, this is when we were younger and before we learned the, the appropriate answer to that uh, demand is no. <laughs> no elves allowed, no fun allowed. Um, but... Uh, uh, but no, I came up with a really cool world that I like so much I didn't mind the elf. Um, it was a very, very neat world. Um, so anyways, uh, what was happening was they would go to these worlds and each of them I would have to make up, a, you know, kind of a new campaign setup, come up with a new uh, interesting idea for the world, uh, what the situation was, things like that. Um, so they would go to these worlds and each world had their kind of own unique take on magic and own unique magic items and ideas and stuff. And so obviously they would find different ideas or, or different options on each of these worlds. And they would just decide, hey, why don't we take this and trade it back to Methepolis that doesn't have any of these things. And they would start making money. So... It would be stupid of me to say, no, each of these new worlds no longer has unique magic items because that would go against the very nature of the campaign. So I wasn't even thinking of that. And when I created the campaign and when I created the world so they could use this, uh, you know, almost magic item arbitrage to make themselves rich. And I could have been stiff and unyielding and just, you know, been kind of a jerk GM and, and not rolled with it, but I decided to roll with it instead and it made the campaign better. The players having a lot of money didn't rule the cam didn't ruin the campaign. Um because they were fighting against 
monsters that were very, very tough and having unique magic items and having, you know, access to a lot of different things didn't make them killer PCs. I think uh, by the end of the campaign, they were up to 18th level was uh, the highest character. Um, and they were still uh, still really getting whomped. We lost at least one PC in the last combat of, uh, uh, of the campaign. And uh, I'm pretty sure I grabbed... Uh, gigantic Cthulhu monster from D20 Call of Cthulhu uh, as the final boss as a demon lord from the uh, 10,000 pits of hell. Uh, and that's who they fought. Their mage was so useless with his spells against it, he was having to take all his higher level spells and cast them as magic missiles. He was throwing away third level spells and fourth level spells to use his magic missiles because that was the only thing that was damaging the creature. So, yeah, they were in a pickle and they lost at least one character before they killed it. Uh, the good thing was it was a demon creature. It had been summoned to the prime material plane. So if they killed it here, uh, its death was permanent. Um, so at the end of the campaign, they did something significant. Uh, and they had worked up to it over a couple of years of playing. Um, and at the end of the first year of the campaign, they saved in a, half an entire continent from starving to death. Uh, so all that money went into going into some of these worlds that they had made mercantile contact with. They built up these uh, contacts with and bringing in vast amounts of food on boats that they had... Uh, brought over flying airboats that hadn't been in Methapolis previously uh, and shipped them down to the continent to save people from this huge widespread famine. And uh, the other thing they did, which became a running theme in the campaign, which again was absolutely not planned for, they never went to a town without deposing the mayor. Every <laughs> single mayor they ever met ended up getting kicked out of his job for good reason, for one reason or another. Uh, oh, they also never got into a bar brawl, ever. Uh, hey, the there's one, no money in it. They're, the one time they got it, almost got into a bar brawl, they had an enemy that was running for the doors of a bar to get away from them, and the elf... The one elf in the entire campaign shot him with an arrow in the back and he died literally right in front of the doors before he could make it and start a bar pro. <laughs> All of this happened organically. All of this happened by accident. All of this just came out of play. None of this was planned. None of this was a plot line. None of this was a story I planned out. The story of the campaign came from players doing stuff and me rolling with it and setting something up. So yeah, people can say, oh, and they have, they have many times say, oh, Daddy Warpig, you have such great stories in your campaign. And my, no, I don't have stories. I don't plan anything out. 
except like in the Vegas sense, I'm going to say something here and, and I'm going to give something away. Yeah. We, we had an emergency on Thursday. Um, and people, uh, I got called in to run the module for the Bro SR group for the Trilopolis campaign. And we just had a different module uh, in Macho Mandolf's campaign where we went into this um, Aztec temple and had all these things happen. Uh, it was a great module. Uh, Chris, who was Macho Mandolf's player, ran it. We all had a lot of fun. Um, and so we went to, you know, they wanted to go and do something else, but all the other DMs couldn't run anything. So they decided, yes, let's go back to this island that uh, Daddy Warpig had set up. And it turns out that the, the mission they accepted, and I gave them three opportunities, so they could have done any one of the three. I didn't care which, because I was making everything up off the top of my head. Um, but again, I had some idea of what was going to happen because I had set up the... I'd set up the skeleton of the idea back when I created the island. And so I already knew kind of what was there. And so I had a structure around which to improvise. Um, so they go to the place where they're searching for it and they found an Aztec temple or at least a, you know, Mesoamerican temple. And immediately they think that this is me riffing off of Chris's Aztec module. And what they didn't know is, no, when I first created this island, these specific place that they're going to was always going to be kind of you know, this Mesoamerican looking, you know, kind of ziggurat-ish place. So it didn't have anything to do with, uh, with Chris's module. It was just always going to be there. It was just pure, you know, pure luck that it happened to link up with Chris's. And so now there's a link between what, Chris did and what I did in two different places. And so now there's a possibility that purely by coincidence in the backstory of the campaign somewhere, that there is a link between his temple and this temple because they're both Aztec temples. Um, and so that's something that just came out of play. It's a little story oh. campaign that nobody had any control over, that nobody meant to be, but was just there. I didn't intend it to be there. Chris didn't intend it to be there, but obviously it's there because the two things are there. So somebody may explore that in the future. People may learn more about it in the future. Uh, I love it. I, I love that that's how those things happen. Uh, chat loves it chat hates elves but i do want to bring up uh, uh, I, I do want to bring up a point um we don't have to belabor the point on elves yeah bradford bradford ran a whole D, &D game without uh 
I want to move this out. Ran a game without, with no non-humans, just all humans. Screeched at for banning elves. Oh, he says online. That makes sense. Uh, I, I do not. Playing online with uh, with random players is a fraught is is a path fraught with danger. Um, oh, elf lovers everywhere. My uh, the island in the archipelago it's in are all human. Uh, that was one of the things I set up because it's a pirate themed area. Uh, so everybody's human. And so the only non-humans that are there are the few that may have come over with a band of adventurers um, that the, they're basically they're red Martians from, you know, the Barsoom books. Uh, I just, we have Tharks up there in the north. So I said, why don't we put red Martians in it? And I plopped them on the island. Uh, they're the ones who hired people to come to the island. Uh, but yeah, no, no elves, no dwarves, no halflings, no nothing. The entire archipelago is just humans. Good for you. Um, it's it's just it's the way to build a world. Um, Jeffro says, you know, I look at campaign sets like the old Greyhawk in the first edition box set. I just have no concept of how people use them at all, much less get so attached to them. I think there's two answers there. Um, the, I'll, I'll take a shot at the first one. Uh, Greyhawk was explicitly designed as, or, or considered as a setting meant to drop into a game. In other words, it would be a great place to start. You could put Castle Greyhawk and whatever in your game. Do they all work that way? No, especially not the ones from second edition. They were meant as full-fledged all out um, games. Why then do people have such great love for the Forgotten Realms, the Dragonlance and everything like that? I, I think they love it as consumers. I think it's a cool setting and a product for them to sort of imagine. It's it's more like a, a se series of novels than a game to them. What do you think? Um. Well, I think people use campaign settings for the same reason that uh, that they, well, two reasons, two main reasons. One, they're there and they think that's how you run games. Um, the tools were taken away from them to make their own campaign settings in AD&D. To not make, to generate their own settings. Everybody can make a D&D world now. It's, you know, people know it. They know the tropes of D&D. So people can. They just choose not to a lot of the time. Um, I mean, look at Methethelis. I know how to make D&D campaign settings so well... I could make, I think we went to eight of them, uh, you know, and at least three of them were developed fairly well for one shots. Uh, and they were good. They were interesting. They had, you know, texture to them. 
They weren't just cardboard cutout flats. Um, and then I developed the main campaign area in, in pretty serious detail, uh, at least serious enough to adventure in. Um, so, but what AD&D has in the Dungeon Master's Guide is a way to generate, perpetually generate AD&D campaign worlds where you can roll up terrain and roll up random monsters uh, or make your own wandering monster tables that you roll on to, uh, you know, create themed areas. Because um, the, random, the random monsters you encounter on this island people are on uh, are different than what you're going to encounter in just a regular old wilderness area or a regular old dungeon. One of the things they ran into on Thursday was a uh, giant um, zombie dinosaur. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've heard of that before. They had a fifth level cleric with them though so that wasn't uh i gave him some boosts because of some things i know about but he's still uh a uh, fifth level cleric can you know get rid of zombies pretty easy even with the boosts i gave him so they sent that thing packing um so this island is going to have some things on it that are, are really outre um really out of it but the second thing uh, in addition to generating a campaign, you don't have to have a campaign setting if you can just make your own, not using your own imagination, but just using the dice and generate something that is as cool or cooler than what you get inside a box set. Um, But those campaign worlds are all going to be AD&D campaign worlds, which is fun. It is heck fun. Um, you're just going to have a lot of uh, fun playing AD&D by the rules. Um, but there are themed campaign worlds can be made, and you could even adjust the tables to generate theme campaign worlds. Um, if you wanted a horror campaign world like Ravenloft, you wouldn't get the same domains, but you could, you know, adjust the random terrain and uh, adjust the encounter tables and stu stuff to generate a horror-themed world. You can make something like birthright or whatever but you wouldn't get something exactly like the pre-made birthright set you wouldn't get something exactly like you know athos in dark sun but you could adjust tables to get an athos athos would work precisely as a regular ad and campaign you just have to adjust the random you know uh, terrain generation tables, um, change your classes and races, and, and Athens would be perfect for a, a first edition 
style campaign. It's just mm -hmm. really heavily house ruled. Um, but the reason why people would use campaigns is because they don't know about campaign generation and they either don't have the imagination or don't think they have the imagination to create cool stuff on their own. If you don't have the imagination to come up with the Shadowrun world, or you don't have the time, then you play Shadowrun, or Earth Dawn, or Rifts, or you know, pick a pick a random role playing game. Uh, what's that horror game? Cult. Uh, cult. 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 Clue. Yeah. If you don't have the imagination or you think you don't have the imagination because you've never exercised your imagination, imagination gets stronger the more the more you read and experience you know diverse sources and I mean diverse in its good original sense. Um, Appendix N, right? Or just the old pulp stuff. In general, if you break out of the constraints of post-1980 fantasy and science fiction and post-1940 science fiction, really, you get your brain programmed with uh, some new wild stuff. Yeah, you can, your imagination will get fed and you'll start coming up with really amazing things that are very, very different than... Uh, than what you're doing and the more you exercise your imagination the better your imagination will get you will be far better at coming up with the campaign world than you think um so one of the things the osr has done that is good is they have games that they're they call them hex crawls in space they're basically you know random terrain generation um oh yeah classic gaming style in space Go explore the galaxy. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could duplicate Numenera, which is Monty Cook's, uh, basically Jack Vance or uh, New Sun uh, books. Uh, Jack Vance's uh, Dying Earth or New Sun books. Sorry, I, I, I really do know the difference between Gene Wolfe and Jack Vance. Please forgive me. Jack Vance's Dying Earth or Gene Wolfe's, you know, book, The New Sun, um, done up as a campaign role with a really hideous, terrible, awful um, game system attached to it. Um, you can... Use that campaign setting with a real system, or you could change that around and make it random ter terrain generation by making different terrain generation rules and make a campaign generator and generate infinite terrain with it. Um, you don't have to depend on a boxed set uh, or all these supplements. 
So people don't know that their brains can be trained and their skills can be practiced in their imagination. So, but at the same time, there are people who just have better imaginations and can better come up with things uh, and better, more vocatively describe them. That's why we pay novelists to write novels for us is because we're not as good novels for them. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of people writing role-playing stuff right now, and it's great. It's a golden age of, of indie role-playing publishing, but um, there really are super great people at it, and uh, if you find that best of the best, they're better than most people are going to come up with on their own, so that is a legitimate reason to buy a game or to buy a campaign sitting is some people really are super great at it. And I would encourage, uh, that might discourage a lot of people from going in for different reasons. Um, a lot of people say, oh, I couldn't possibly be a DM. I'm not very creative, something like that. But the encouraging thing is with the right tools and the right attitude, uh, it not only are those creative things something that you can develop, but you don't need to be creative in the way that you think to be able to play a successful game because the tools are there to make you know, do the heavy lifting, as Jeffrey likes to say. You know, the, the, the rules do the heavy lifting, and, and then you're free to just see what happens. When, you know, what do your players come up with? Um, but we should probably move on because we've done our first half of the show as D&D talk as usual. Yeah. Um, and we got three things to talk about today. Um, Strange New Worlds, The Boys, and Stranger Things. So, uh, and I kind of want to go in that order. Sounds good to me. Uh, you're on your own for Stranger Things, uh, Strange New Worlds, rather. What is that? <laughs> um, so Strange New Worlds is one of those Paramount Plus streaming TV shows. Um, it concerns, it's set in the same universe uh, or continuity, as if that word had any meaning in Star Trek anymore. Um, as Star Trek Discovery, which means it's supposed to be in the same timeline as uh, Star Trek Enterprise, but a little bit later, but it's not in, actually in the same timeline as Star Trek Enterprise. Um, and uh, this ship and crew, it's the USS Enterprise with Spock on it, commanded by Christopher Pike and uh, number one, who was uh, seen in the uh, pilot for the original Star Trek series that was remade with a different crew. Um, they switched from Christopher Pike to James T. Kirk, and then they chopped up the pilot um, 
and Christopher Pike showed up in that uh, horrible chair with a messed up face where he could only say yes and no by blinking the light and so on and so forth. I think it was called The Cage. Um, apologies if I got that wrong. But this is the adventures of Christopher Pike um, about seven years before that accident happens that puts him in that chair. They showed up during the last, like, four episodes of the, um, one of the seasons of Discovery, where Spock was looking all awful and really effeminate. Um, they have done some dumb things with the crew, but mostly just with two crew members, um, Anson Mount turns out to be a really good actor. He played Black Bolt in the short-lived Inhumans TV series on ABC and also in the recent Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, Black Bolt is a guy with the, you know, the Inhumans were just dumb. They were dumb comic book characters, and I know people have given me static for that, but they had dumb powers and dumb costumes. Uh, but Anson Mount is a good actor, a really good actor. Uh, he carries off the park of, part of Christopher Pike well. Um, they have a lady on the ship who's this really, um, really grating personality who's their uh, pilot. Um, uh, or weapons officer. I, honestly, I can't remember now. Um, but she has the, you know, shaved up the sides hairdo, which never appeared in classic Trek. Uh, and she's just really obnoxious and, and gung-ho and, you know, violent. She's the most masculine character on the ship almost, uh, other than Christopher Pike. Uh, they have butched up Spock, so he's back to being actual Spock, not effeminate Spock, which is really good. And the guy who's playing him does a good job of playing Spock now. Um, he plays Spock. So uh, not as good as Leonard Nimoy, um, but much, much better than Spock had been being played in the last couple of J.J. Abrams movies. Um, and uh, Mystique from the original X-Men movies. Uh, who was that model whose name I can't remember right now? Oh, Rebecca Romain. Rebecca Romain is on the ship. She's playing the major Barrett role of number one. Uh, and she does a really good job. Dumbest thing ever, uh, they have a descendant of Khan Noonien Singh on the ship, and everybody knows about her and everybody knows about him. Uh, and this is where I scoff at continuity, even though Spock knew nothing about Khan Noonien Singh and had to search him up in the archives. He is right now serving on the ship right next to her. She's bridge crew. Um, huh. She's the security head on the ship. <laughs> I'm just like, guys. Yeah, so this is why I sneer at the term. You know, it's in the same continuity as the original Star Trek. No, it's not. Um, clearly Goldsman's 
traditional sneering at continuity is going on here still. It's not a bad series. It's a mediocre series for the most part. They have three good episodes. Um, but it is not the absolute dumpster trash fire that Discovery is. It's far better than Discovery. It is not worth subscribing to Discovery Plus to see. This is not a must-see series. However, it's 10 episodes long. Three of the episodes are good, uh, including like the last two and one a little earlier in the season. Um, if I feel motivated, I may look up the names of the episodes and put them in the notes or something. Um, someone had described it as being uh, like Star Trek had a stroke and was learning how to Star Trek again. And maybe I'm feeling a little bit more generous for the series because the last two episodes were actually good episodes of not good Star Trek episodes, but good episodes of TV. They were enjoyable and watchable, which Star Trek Picard wasn't, which, um, you know, Discovery wasn't, which Halo wasn't. Um, and I've seen so many of these bad TV shows that I've gained an appreciation for something which is good. Uh, and even gained an appreciation for something which is all right. Uh, if you're looking for time to spend, it's all right. Don't pay for, to, for Paramount Plus to watch this show. I'm not telling you that. But if you already pay for Paramount Plus for one reason or another... Um, then you could do worse than spending 10 hours watching this on Paramount+. Plus. Don't watch Discovery. Don't watch Picard. I beg of you, save yourself. <laughs> so that's my review of Strange New Worlds. It's okay. It's not great. Some of the episodes dip below okay, but there are three good episodes. Not great. Good. I'm not impressed. No, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not telling you you should be impressed. So well, let's go to you, boys. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. I, I'm done with Star Trek. I've been for <laughs> like 10 years now or more. So this is the third season of The Boys. And for those of you that don't know... The Boys is Amazon's uh, retelling of Garth Ennis's thoroughly appalling uh, comic book series, also called The Boys. The Boys is a comic book series, is a superhero series. The comic book series, The Boys, is superhero comics for people who hate superheroes who loathe and despise them and uh, want a series that absolutely trashes superheroes. So, The Boys streaming TV series on Amazon is, as a concept, far, far superior to The Boys comic. 
In the original season, it was about a bunch of guys who were humans. And in the comic, the boys aren't humans. They're superheroes. The series is about a bunch of humans who try to take down superhumans who are murderous scum. But who at the same time are also movie stars and celebrities and things like that. The main character, Huey, gets involved in the situation when his girlfriend, Robin, there is a super speeder like the Flash who is high, who's running through the streets and he runs into his girlfriend and she explodes and gore shoots everywhere. Now they very explicitly show the gore, covers him with the gore, covers the streets with the gore, pieces of her land everywhere. I think a part of her tooth lands in his hair, gets embedded in his cheek or something, whatever. Um, and that's how the series begins. That's literally the first scene of the series. Um, and that pretty much sets the tone for the rest of the series. There's a lot of gore, a lot of what people think are superheroes behaving badly. Vought is a Disney-esque company, although in addition to making movies of the seven real superheroes who are also celebrities and stars because they starved in, star in movies about themselves as heroes having fictionalized adventures, um, they... Uh, they actually kind of go out and sort of fight crime. So, but this, these humans, the boys, go out and try to take down these superheroes who are actually supervillains. And the first season, I enjoyed. It had some appalling parts in it. Um, and... Uh, I had a lot of gore. The second season was about, uh, it was about Trump, really. I mean, they tried, they made a character called Stormfront who, uh, and spoilers, I'm going to be spoiling a lot if you haven't watched The Boys. Um, it has sporadic bursts of great drama and great plot lines combined with Truly stupid things uh, and also appalling things. They are trying to shock you and appall you all the time. Hmm. And I don't know if they're taking shocking, appalling things from Garth Ennis' uh, comic, which is 100% shock and appall all the time, uh, or if they are just coming up with these things on their own or a mixture of both. Um but yeah, they're definitely trying to shock and appall you all the dang time. Pardon me. That was a spell. <laughs> I, 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 for one, I, for one, couldn't handle. I think I watched the first two episodes of season two, and it was 
and we talked about it on the show. It was, it was just horrible. There was no redeeming quality to it. Um, season three was even more horribler. Um, yeah, I just, it may have done, and I'm not making this, this is a joke. Um, I'm legitimately worried it may have done some damage to me. If you see horrible things and you watch horrible, appalling, morally appalling TV shows, it can make you a little bit more calloused to that sort of thing. And I'm not talking about real world attitudes towards real world things it's just it can adjust your attitudes towards fictional things it can make you a little bit more calloused to them uh, which can be reflected in other stuff you do i don't know i i don't know where that comes down maybe i'm worrying too much about it um but man. I don't think I, I don't think you're mistaken. I mean, that's it's the it's qualitative difference between you know stupid action movies where you know with a high body count uh, that sort of goofy fictionalized violence and the outright gore intended to I don't know it even even cheesy horror movies tend to do uh, explicit gore, but it it's all in good fun. It's really corny. It's cheesy. You know, it's not it, for kids, it, but it's it, it, you. You can laugh at it, and the voice isn't presented that way. I, I have seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and um, Last House on the Left, and some you know really brutal horror movies, and none of them are as brutal and gory as the boys. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I have seen some really brutal horror stuff from the 70s that is they're still great movies i mean and i mean truly artistically great movies they set out to be a horror movie and they hit that mark to where even 40 years later after having seen you know the saving private ryan beach scene they are still uh horrifying they are still you know terror inducing but man the boys season three just goes way beyond all that. It is. Yeah, I'm, I'm still shocked by some of the stuff they put on screen. It is. So I'm, I'm going to take a second to give you two reviews. It is morally appalling. And I cannot imagine wanting to watch this for the entertainment value. It is, you can excuse, I'm going to have to go there as a cinematic comparison because I can't think of anything short of this. And this may be a mistake, and I apologize. Go it ahead. Is for the purposes of 
shocking the audience by being grim and dark, and it doesn't really have the moral weight to justify. There is nothing about the movie that has the moral weight to justify how grim and dark it is. It is grim and dark about fundamentally a frothy premise that could be a good premise. You look at the Saving Private Ryan beach scene, and that is grim and dark and bloody and violent for a serious premise that is raiding the beach at Normandy. So it justifies its grim and darkness with a moral weight. Um, and this movie does not justify, or this TV series does not justify its grimness and darkness and other ingredients because it's about what if Superman was evil? Which you can have a good comic book about that. Although it's overdone and, and tiresome. You can have a good... And this season, the, the first two seasons have been about what if Superman was evil? Um, fundamentally. The main character is Homelander, and the guy that plays Homelander delivers a compelling performance in all three seasons. And this season, his performance has been off the charts amazing. That's the other half of the reveal. I'll get that in just a sec. Um, this season has also been about now, what if Captain America was evil? Um, and that's the new character they introduced, played by the same actor who plays Dean on Supernatural. Um, and he did a good job with his performance um, for what he was given to work with, which wasn't much. But fundamentally, that's a, a comic book preference, comic book premise, and they're just not justifying how brutal and gory and morally appalling the rest of the stuff is. They just went over the top. Just went way over the top with it. And it's not justified by the premise. Um, they were too gory and too brutal. And I don't mean in just a morally appalling way. I mean, they have overrun the material. It's like, uh, like I said in my reviews of Dead Space. The first dead space in the very first minutes of the very first scene has a guy coming up to you and literally ripping his face all the way off his skull. It's just way too over the top. Horror movies that go way too over the top turn into comedy. It's a joke, a punchline. Yeah. And this doesn't become a joke and a punchline because it's it's not that it's not funny, but it just overstrips the premise of the show. It's no longer interesting. It's just deadening. It's just boring. The, the gore becomes, it, it, it's not even sickening past a certain point. It's just boring. You're just like, oh, again, more? Yeah, they just failed. They completely failed at what they set out to do, just shock for the sake of being shocking. It's like they heard all the complaints about everybody and pulled a Taika Waititi, 
Taika Waititi heard all the people complaining about what he was doing with Thor and decided to just go 50 times further just to prove he could. It's just revenge on the audience for complaining about them going too far and said, oh, yeah, well, we can go 500 times too far. And that's what they did uh, with the gore and the uh, grotesque nudity and stuff. Um, which, that's a shame. It was just, it's just a mistake. It just ruined the material. So let's go to the material. Is the material any good? On its stripped of the gore, stripped of the stupidity. Um, yeah, actually, the material is mostly good. Other than the pointless subplots with A-Train and the Deep, who are the lamest characters in the entire show, uh, other than the A-Train's use in the first season, he's been, you know, treading water for seasons two and three. Other than the Deep's, other than the Deep's use in season two and three, he's been treading water. They're both lame characters. They both should have been permanently retired to, like, Cincinnati and New Jersey. Um uh, literally, uh, the Deep was sent to Cincinnati season two. He sh should have just stayed there. A train his family in New Jersey. Uh, he should have just been sent there at the end of the season and never seen from again either of them. They're useless. They're useless characters. They had useless subplots. They're drag on the show. Um, the one interesting character who should have been kept on the show, who had a lot of potential they haven't used, and that was uh, Black Noir. Um, Wait, the, Black Noir? His name is Black Black? Yes. Okay, just want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, you did. You absolutely <laughs> did. He's a spoof of 90s over-the-top, you know, uh, 90s over-the-top... Uh, Antiheroes? Antiheroes, yeah. Uh, he heals like... Uh, um, He's basically Deadpool with a black costume, only he never talks. Okay. Um, so he's always brooding, brooding, brooding. And he's a fun character that way because he's always brooding, brooding, brooding. Because he can't talk. He can't do anything but brood. He's forced to brood. Literally forced to brood. He's a spoof of brooders. That's what's fun about him. <laughs> the last couple episodes of the season, he's you see things from his side of things, and it's hilarious. Um, they shortchanged a lot of the characters this season, but even so, those actors deliver good performances. Um, Homelander is given a lot of, of material to work with, and the actor knocks it out of the park. If, uh, if you didn't hate the character so much and want to see him die, die, die in a fire, um, he makes a perfect villain because you want to see him die so much. Um, there has to be a satisfactory, I'm not saying there will be, there has to be a satisfactory finish to that arc because he deserves to die so much and they keep on trying to make him a sympathetic villain but they can't succeed because he's just so villainous he's just evil he's just so awful to everyone around him and the entire human race and they're like oh look he has a son and he he loves his son and like no he has no love with him he's incapable of showing love you can't make him sympathetic at this point 
He's evil. Uh, Queen Maeve, they've given a two-season-long redemption arc, and she actually pulls it off, but they jump out in the last episode with what is her ultimate redemption. Um, they jump out with what's going on with uh, uh, evil uh, Captain America. They just, for all the gore and other things that happen, they pull their punches in the last episode and they chump out on it. And I'm like, you losers. Um, <laughs> seriously, I mean, if you're going to prove how far you can go and you can't even go that far with, uh, with the drama, you can't even, you walk up to the finish line and then you just like, oh, oh, we didn't mean it. Not like that. Losers. Have the balls to go where your script is meant to go. I don't mean even awful. That wouldn't have been an awful ending. That would have been a good ending. They're getting all GRRM with their uh, with their material. Uh, ironically, by not pulling a GRRM, it's lame. Um, but yeah, they had some moments of really, really good drama this season. Yeah, some moments of you know coerced drama, and they have another villain in the show who was there all last season, who's there most of this season, who is actually a brilliant and chilling villain, who has some understandable motives, uh, and is one of the rare cases where quote unquote humanizing the villain actually really works. Um, so it's not like the people writing the show can't do good drama because they can. They just decided to go over the top with the gore to where it became senseless and pointless. They don't have the moral weight to carry that, and they probably could with the material they have. They should have cut back on the gore, cut back on the other uh, grotesque sexual stuff, and they should have uh, stopped with the silliness, um, stopped with the, you know, silly feminist moments that ruined a lot of the drama. Um, yeah. All right. So it's deeply flawed setting aside the gore and grotesque sexual stuff. Um, I don't know how people would would normally make it past like the first half hour of the first episode uh, if they weren't, you know, bound, set, and determined to watch it for reviews. Uh, I wouldn't have if I weren't watching it for the show. That's my review of The Boys. Sounds fair. What about... And, and it's uh... sad. It is really, really sad because there are genuinely compelling dramatic moments in the series that are absolutely not absolutely wasted by being buried in in not just trash but absolute filth and, oh you're all morally judgy there yeah i feel comfortable in morally judging this some things you just have to morally judge 
Sorry, you're asking a question. I'm done. What? No, I was gonna. I was ready to move on. Speaking of morally move judging, on. <laughs> I'm uh, happy to move on. Yeah. Stranger uh, Things. Stranger Things. They they did a fourth season, and uh, an interesting one. Uh, because interesting to me because speaking of morally judging, I uh, I got I think one episode into season three and I stopped watching the show. <laughs> But this one I, I watched all the way through. You haven't seen any of Stranger Things season three? Uh, first, from- yeah, like one, maybe two episodes. You know, they introduced okay. the new characters and things were happening. And I thought, you know what? I don't care. And um, it turns out it it's not really doesn't help you understand what's going on this season. No. But it does open I, uh, up the proper well, way with some proper Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Yes. We're bringing that full circle back to the beginning of the show. Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so let me say this about Stranger Things Season 3 just to start out with. I didn't feel like there were any filler episodes where they're just marking time to, you know, meet... Uh, Netflix's quota of episodes. Pretty much every Netflix show has that or has had that. I don't watch a lot of Netflix anymore. But this season, I feel like, didn't have any of that. Always things were happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we come back to the kids, and there's, uh, you know, they're a lot older. They're not really kids anymore. And they are still dealing with the upside down and all the consequences of the the you know the the portals between the upside down and the real world there are monsters um there's always something happening but i found that a lot of it wasn't good or worth my attention and that's what that's one of the things that bothered me um because they've got characters spread out around the globe doing things and i cannot bring myself to care too much about one or two of those you know the the b plot or the c plot even though like any good set of writers they do bring it together at the end could not find it in my heart to uh be excited about anything that wasn't happening in the main town in ohio what do you think i think And I only realized this in retrospect, so I think it was kind of funny in retrospect. Um, After the sheriff got up, the actor who plays the sheriff got up when they were getting their award and made his big political speech. And, uh, I mean, if you saw um, the mom, uh, the actress who plays the mom standing there Beside him, looking all befuddled, like, why is he making this big political speech? This is not what we're here for. Um, if you remember that moment a few years back, um, he spends, and mm, I don't care. We're going to do some spoilers. If you haven't seen it, spoilers are all across the internet. I don't think you can avoid being spoiled at this point. Uh, I had a very major event spoiled for me. So, you know, warning, spoilers for season four of Stranger Things. He spends this entire season being tortured in one way or another. 
like every single episode. Yep. He's being beaten or having bones broken or, you know, whatever. And I'm just thinking, man, somebody's getting revenge for that political speech. They're just <laughs> somebody wanted to see that guy getting the hell beaten out of him over and over and over. Um, but yeah, you know, the mundane little side plot in California was kind of neat in that you got to see uh, Eleven dealing with the world without her powers and having to socialize with kind of normal high school life without her powers. And that was okay for the limited time it was, you know, on the screen. It wasn't on there for very long. I mean, it lasted a couple of episodes, but it wasn't on there for a super long screen time. Um, the road trip was a little long. Um, the stoner was uh, basically as, just, as tedious as a stoner ever is. Yeah, but they didn't. He was there for comic relief, uh, stoner style, which I'm not a big fan of. But uh, again, his his he was just there for little bits and then was pretty quickly gone each time he showed up. So. Uh, and he did have some fun lines and he did actually have a, a point in the plot at several points. So it wasn't just there. Uh, I thought it was funny when they showed up at the other other pizza joint. That was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean the other the other plots were basically there to give the other characters something to do because they had so many uh, cast members that they hadn't been willing to fully retire or just let. I mean, let's face it, the Will kid, he was just basically there because they weren't willing to let him go. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he hasn't been really useful or interesting or part of the show since the first season. And his first season, he was only part of the show because he wasn't there. So they should have probably escorted him out. Uh, after he came back in the first season. <laughs> but no, he's our best friend. Well, sometimes best friends move away. <laughs> uh, and I think you really hit on the what I don't like and I didn't need from the show is they keep all of these characters around and add new ones, and it just got bloated. So they had to have this know globe spanning story where everybody's doing their own thing we're gonna we're gonna jump to the a story to the b story to the b story c story to the d story and then you have to add new characters for the season um eddie munson uh the dungeon master uh you know is in the you know the picture we used for the show uh he's awesome 
you know, he's he's a great character. Um, they added, I don't know if this is a new addition in this season, but uh, the daughter of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. Oh, no, she joins... was all there during the third season. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't get that far. I, I'm, And I'm so glad I didn't. Easily the worst character in the show. Um, in a show full of anachronisms, uh, the obnoxious, uh, you know, the obnoxious blabbermouth uh, lesbian who talks like uh, Millennial or uh, Juno from, or, you know, Ellen Page from Juno, right? That's absolutely the worst. Uh, easily the worst thing about the show, even worse than the useless, uh, care, you know, B Will from the first season. A uh, terrible bloated cast. But yeah, she, go ahead. She really that character didn't have. They gave her things to do, but it was mostly busy work. I mean, at one point, they needed something to happen, and they literally had her run off screen for no reason. And then when that. When the thing they needed to happen on screen happened, they had her literally run back on screen. I mean, you could watch them just get rid of her because she was so useless. Yeah, it's it's like you said, they, they could have had a, a better, tighter, more interesting show if they had just accepted the loss of some of these characters. Do it lazy. Like, oh, where's so-and-so? Oh, he's, I don't know, he's off helping relief efforts in Costa Rica or something, or <laughs> I don't know. He's off to college or, or something. We don't, we didn't need a, a side story for everybody. Yeah, in uh, season three, it's a lot of it's set in a mall. Uh, and uh, Steve, the hair Harrington uh, is working at, uh, I mean, basically it's a, uh, it's that hot dog place. Uh, only Nathan's. they sell. Uh, only they sell like frozen yogurt, uh, and she was his coworker. Uh, she's supposed to be really, really smart, so she helped them figure some things out. But then Dustin is the really, really smart one this season, so she didn't have anything to do because Dustin got all the genius this season. Yep. Um, like, like what can I say? What's what's good? Like they've they had the winning formula, uh, the t television's coolest uh, title sequence and title theme. Um, uh, cast of characters like the kids were fun to watch, interact, and everything like that. Except for what's his name, Finn? I don't know. Um, can't stand that guy, but whatever. Uh, but they had a winning formula. Interesting thing, fun things happened. You know, the '80s nostalgia was sort of. It was half-assed, right? But it was fun. And they had a lot of fun and a lot of things going on this season. The monsters, the, the threats. If you're a D&D player, you you know, my, my brother and I jumped up when they went to the Underdark and got attacked by a bunch of Sturges. We're like, yeah, we know what those are, right? <laughs> uh, and a lot of the stuff that happened was fun. Like, there was a lot of fun stuff to, to watch. And so I made it through the season because I didn't let myself get uh, bogged down by the the mistakes and, and things. 
Um, but, you know, there were mistakes. Like, this this show jumped the shark a long time ago. I'm going to say season two. Uh, and it's uh, now it's just sort of lumbering along as a franchise because they've got all these actors that are popular and all this money, and they're just going to keep doing it. It's it's currently uh, currently dying. I have a more positive uh, view of season five than you do. I really liked season five. Um, Tell me more, or at least I enjoyed it. I'm not going to say it was you know super great. Yeah, no, well, I I, I I enjoyed it too, but but I I love to hear your differences. Um, while I was watching it. Uh, I didn't feel that any one of the plots dragged too much. Um, and at the end, they gave each of the subsidiary plots something to do to, you know, kind of bind them together to where they were all participating in and joining in the final confrontation. Um, they didn't bring everybody together in the, you know, I, I, in that cheesy way where it's like everybody has a big meetup outside of the big bad's uh, grim keep, and then they all go charging in and start fighting it. Um, wherever they were, everybody had something they could do to advance uh, the fight, and that was cool. I liked that. Um, No, him being in the Russian prison. Uh, oops. Uh, spoiler, sorry. Yo, I guess that has something to do with the ending of the uh, third season anyway. So. Oh, right. Spoiler. The last uh, episode of the third season showed him being hauled into a Russian prison. So that's actually not a spoiler. Um, We just didn't know how he survived. Lamest survival ever. Oh, they could have come up with something so much better. I could have come up with something so much better. Um, it's it's similar similar to the first season for me. On the one hand, I did not care at all about anything that happened in the rush in the Russian prison. On the other hand, it was some of the most enjoyable parts was watching him get tortured and then try and you know be action hero again. Yeah. Um. I mean, I did, I did enjoy a lot of the stuff in the Russian prison. So they made it entertaining, at least. It didn't have a lot to do with the rest of everybody. But each of them were, you know, each of them had their own thread that were pretty much deliberately almost, you know, isolated. Uh, like hermetically sealed from each other. So they couldn't interact. Um. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed watching it. Um, I would have watched it anyway, even if I wasn't watching it for the show. There was nothing about it that would have made me turn it off or run away screaming. Um, and the... The only real problem is that there were just some characters who very clearly ought to have been 
written out for this season. Um, Robin ought to have written out. Uh, Will ought to have been written out. Um, Max was completely useless during the third season. Um, but she had a great uh, role this time around. Um, and was actually interesting. And they did interesting things with their character. Uh, and they did all the stuff they should have done in the third season with her character in this season. Um, and, uh, the basketball star, um, awful. I liked him. Well, yeah, great character. Awful what they did with him. And you knew oh. they were going to do it the whole time. Um, I still think it was, would have been a better climax if they're talking about who was getting selected by the big bad and why, right? Mm -hmm. If the big bad had switched not to Max, but to the other guy who suddenly showed up. Because he had at least as much on his, you know. Conscience. On his conscience. And that's why they couldn't stop. That's why things kind of went the way they did at the end. That would have mm -hmm. been a brilliant twist. It would have made perfect sense. It would have been completely out of the blue. Um, it would have been so surprising to find out that he was just toying with them. That just like the guy in the asylum escaped, she had escaped and couldn't be, you know... Uh, attacked again, but this guy was perfectly set up to be attacked, and that's why everything fell apart. That would have been much better. Yeah, that would have been a brilliant, brilliant. Uh, last minute bit. I was, I was actually hoping that was what was going to happen when she realized where that was going. Uh, because they wouldn't have had anything to play for him. Right. Instead, they just did the sort of obvious thing. Yeah. Uh, yes, the, um, the ending actually was very weak. I uh, didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't satisfied by it, but uh, it was, it was fun to watch. I thought it was enjoyable. The problems are there. Um, they, they not only did they not fix them since the second season, they're worse. Uh, so, I I thought this season was better than every other season except the first, and it may have even been better than the first because it's been a long time since I've seen the first. Yeah, I mean, I, I I doubt that. I'm I, 
I, I don't think there's a reason to watch anything besides the first, but uh, yeah, uh, it's definitely better than season two and season three was so bad. I didn't watch it. So uh, I, I don't think you're, uh, I don't think you have a, an opinion that is controversial here. Um, I love the way Dustin was the genius. Um, maybe that was a little bit over the top, but he kept on figuring things out and it seemed completely plausible that he could do that. I liked the little side trip to visit his, uh, his girlfriend. And if you're going to bring back a character to bloat the cast, that's how you should do it. Mm -hmm. Stop in, have a quick visit. That's interesting and fun. They used Argyle appropriately in that visit. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but they had the two female characters were deliberately made up like uh, 80s stars. The one sister in that scene looks like um, the crazy girl in The Breakfast Club. And mm -hmm. the bandmate was made up to look like Molly Ringwald. Yep. Um so those were fun little nods they put in. Um, and uh, I thought the thing that they did with the portal in Andy Munson's trailer was great. I just, I loved that. That was interesting. Uh, and it was better than how I've seen similar situations handled in other places. Uh, I thought it was neat. Um I think Eddie deserved better, but you know, what are you going to do? Yep. That's what it is. I wish it would have been someone else. That's all I'm saying. So even yeah, like half the cast. Yeah. There's so many other people that are superfluous to demands or extraneous to demand that, you know, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would recommend people watch it. Um, it's worth uh, getting a week-long subscription to Netflix. Uh, if you can get one of those trial subscriptions. Uh, I don't know that it's worth buying a full month just for this show. Um, but if there's some other things you can watch on Netflix during that full month, like, um, that game, what's that game? Don't know. Squid game. The squid game. Yeah. You can watch the squid game during that month. Month. You can also watch, uh, we are all dead. The high school zombie, um, show. So a month spent watching those three shows, if you get Netflix for the month, that's actually well worth your money, and then just cancel your subscription after that. It's worth it to see <laughs> these three shows. That would be my recommendation. And there's actually some other Netflix stuff that you can substitute in for that that's worth it for a month, but I can hear the hissing from the audience right now. <laughs> he says subscribe to the service. We don't, hate Zim. Don't give money to people who hate you. 
um, in all seriousness, uh, the way I the way I saw it as uh, as something to do with uh, people, friends, and family, right uh, together on the couch, it was great. Uh, I I I enjoyed it. Not I didn't enjoy every minute. I I zoned out a couple of parts of episode, like I mentioned earlier. But uh, I definitely would not have watched the series for its own sake. I don't think it it's good enough on it for its own sake. Uh, but I did enjoy. I did enjoy it. Yeah, Jeffro's got you. Mm. <laughs> um. All right, that's that's it for Stranger Things. I really did enjoy it far better than seasons uh, three and two. Uh, and they do actually. Uh, there were some things established in earlier seasons as facts that the kids remember and use in this season. And they're not callbacks. They're actually like, oh, hey, they're what I call PC moments. And I judge them by, like, if I put my players into this situation, would they be sharp enough to think of something like this? And if the characters are at least as smart as my players have been, then I judge it a well-written show if the characters are, you know, smart. Uh, and they had some things where the characters figured out stuff that was smart. And they used things that were points of interest in earlier uh, seasons smartly, uh, cleverly. And so, yeah, that was another thing I liked is they, the characters were not always idiots. Um, in one particular scene, they were big idiots, uh, and I was screaming about that. And particularly what I was screaming was, you know, in the prison when they left one specific room, I was like, why don't you set that on fire? Right. Right. Right now. And, uh, well, then you know what happened after that. I'm like, see, my players would have. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, the, that's the great thing about gaming. The uh, players recognize a Chekhov's gun when they see it most of the time. <laughs> so, all right, we're done with Stranger Things. Uh, I really, really liked it. I didn't see any... The story kept me so involved, and this is a measure of a good story, that I didn't notice any big problems while I was watching it. Most of the problems came from looking at the plot at the end and saying, oh, this person didn't really do anything interesting during their story. It turns out that even at the end when everybody was doing little things, this one character didn't have a use. Like Murray shows back up again. The guy with the beard who speaks Russian, he was useful the entire show. Uh, uh, and Will's mom, useful the entire show. She had a lot to do. She was great in this uh, season. She really was. Max, interesting plot around her, useful. Um, Dustin, way useful. Great guy, and not just in a plot way. He had an interesting personality. They did not waste his character. Robin and Will, waste characters, didn't need to be there. Um... Oh, is it Finn who's the tall, gangly kid who's pale in love with Elle? Yes. Wasted. Didn't need to be there. He was completely superfluous to the entire show this season. 
Yeah. I'm not going to say anymore because 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 we're done. Like you're absolutely right. I mean, Will's older brother had more to do than. Uh, and and I can't stand that character. <laughs> no, I really can't either. And he didn't even have a. I mean, his plot line was basically completely unfinished. He ended the series. He ended the entire season where he began at that. They didn't give him anything to do, really, except a little bit. But he still had more to do than Finn. And, man, he ended the series right where he began. It was really sad. Mm -hmm. They did Steve wrong. Steve uh, had so much character growth over the last two seasons. And he's a great and interesting character because he's like that shallow kid who turns out to have unexpected depth and to be a badass. You know, that good-looking kid that everyone likes at school – that all the girls throw themselves at, and he turns out to be this badass on top of it. And you're like, dude, thumbs up. You are awesome. We get so few of those characters, the popular kid who's also a good guy underneath and is physically courageous. We get so few of those characters in modern fiction. It's just great. And they didn't completely waste him because he's always out in front. He's always leading. You know, he got his Hulk moment on in one of the episodes where those things are attacking and he grabs it and slams it to one side and slams it to the other and slams it back until he kills it. And this is after he gets swarmed by those things and they're tearing him up. And you're just like, dude, Steve's a badass. And that's great to see. That's a classic hero. Uh and so, yeah, it's great to have that character in there. And they gave him, they didn't give him quite his due, but he got a lot of great stuff in. So, yeah, not a wasted character this season. Robin, the super genius, kind of wasted. She wasn't really allowed to be a super genius except for a few times. Um, but, yeah. They're not big problems you noticed, or I noticed while I was watching the show. It's just mostly, mostly at the end, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, yeah. All right, we're done. Let's ride <laughs> off into the sunset. Right off into the sunset. You got our recommendations. You know if you want to watch it or not. Uh, that was a fun show. Actually, it was good to catch up on D&D &D and other stuff like that. I never get tired of talking about game design. I never get tired of hanging out with you and the chat. I uh, love you guys, and I hope everybody listening later uh, got some interesting conversation and insight from us today, and I hope to see you guys again soon. I'm done for this week, Daddy Warpig. Take it away. Well, I've been sipping all through the show, so let's see if my throat works now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank everybody who showed up to uh, listen live and participate in the chat. And we want to thank everybody who's going to listen later. Remember, you can show up and participate in the chat by going to youtube.com slash geekgab. Once again, that's youtube.com slash geekgab. We are here just about every week, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And uh, you can catch more awesome and interesting content with us, your fabulous hosts, 
and also the amazingly intelligent and unusually attractive members of our audience. Or if you live in a time zone where you unfortunately cannot catch us live, you can listen to us on the Google Play Store, on the Apple iTunes Store, or on SoundCloud.com. Subscribe to us there. You can uh, just do a search for GeekGab, and we are available on the device of your choice or to download to your computer or listen live on the web. By the way, folks, we are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.